I realized after a while in, I would say a good while in, that although I was living a life of a religious person and inspired by it, I wasn't reaching to Hashem to help me in this situation. And it was like a real earth-shattering realization for me. Hi there, I'm Tanya, and you're listening to Human and Holy, a podcast where we discuss the deepest parts of Torah, not just as scholars, but also as human beings. If you are listening to this and would like to sponsor an episode of the podcast or support Human and Holy in any way, visit humanandholy.com slash sponsor or email us at info at humanandholy.com. Human and Holy is a nonprofit. All donations are tax deductible. Thank you to our sponsors, past and present, for making each episode happen and bringing Human and Holy into the world every single week. Today, we have Razi Metzger sharing what she describes as choosing life within life. What does it mean to choose our Judaism, not just in one pivotal moment, but every day of our lives? How did Razi move away from defining her life choices as a past experience and reimagining them as something that she made every single day? Rosh Hashanah is coming up this week, a time when we crown God as king and choose to live our lives oriented towards the divine. What does it mean to choose the essence of God and not just the revelation? What does it mean to not only choose life, but to choose the juiciest, most precious life within the life we already have? Hi, I'm Razi Metzger. I live in Manhattan with my husband and six children. We are shluchim to a place called Sutton Place. So it's a small community in Midtown Manhattan. It's a really nice neighborhood and we build community and I run a preschool. I had started a preschool about 15 years ago. It's had its ups and downs, big and small. Now it's kind of small and it's one part of what we do. And I teach and I have six children, Baruch Hashem, and five girls and one boy. So a big part of who I am is a mom and specifically a special needs mom. I have a son with non-speaking autism. He's 17. So a huge part of my life has been navigating this, advocating for him, figuring it out. That's been a huge piece. I wrote a book about my son. It's called Listen With Your Heart. It's a children's book, helping children understand him. So I guess I'm an author too. That was a really fun project that I did with my sister who illustrated it. Not I guess. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I guess I'm an author. I'm like, you are an author. I guess I'm an author. I know. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a really big part of what I do, actually. Since I published the book about a year ago, I go around a lot and I read it to schools. 
So I have like this whole sideshow going on of educating children to listen with their hearts, which is really meaningful and just a very, very special thing that I love doing. Just teaching children how to tune in and see the humanity in everybody. My primary identity, I would say, is a shlucha. That's my main gig, if you wish, you know, and everything (laughs) is sort of part of that. Everything fits into that. But I feel like everything, mothering my children is my shluchas. Educating people Mm -hmm. is my shluchas. Teaching Tanya is my shluchas. Even raising sensitivity levels in children in schools, I feel like that's my shluchas too. So it all, you know, it's a very holistic feeling of like being a shlucha of the Rebbe and whatever that entails, whatever I'm called upon to do at that time. Nice. So that's, yeah, that's what I do. And Baruch Hashem, I love it. really do. I just want you to know in relation to your book, Listen With Your Heart, Miriam, who does some work for Human and Holy, saw that I scheduled an interview with you and she was like, do you have her book? And I was like, no, she said her book is really meaningful and she loves it. And every time she reads it to her son, she's really moved by it. So she sent it to me and I got to read your beautiful, gorgeous book. And the message there is really powerful. You said that it was written about your special needs son, but I think it's really listen with your heart when anyone is speaking and it has a gorgeous message. So just want to say that I read it and enjoyed it. I agree. And if you notice, thank you. And if you notice in the text of the book, the word autism actually doesn't appear. It's not about autism. Mm -hmm. It's about tuning in and really listening with your heart. So that's my message. Okay. So today we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to choose Yiddishkeit when you are brought up in a firm world and you are born into these choices. What does it actually mean to actively choose them? So tell us a little bit about that. So this is something that has been in my mind forever. I actually rem- I grew up on Shluchas, so I was born into it, this specific path of Yiddishkeit, being a Shluch of the Rebbe. And I did notice how let's say high of a path it was. It it did occur to me at various points while I was growing up, like, wow, this is a really amazing life. And I remember once accompanying my father on a bunch of errands, like the gas station, the bank, and it hitting me at the time. I was probably like a teenager thinking like, every mundane errand here is actually an elevated experience because it's all in service Mm. of this this mission. I mean, when you understand Dira B'Tachtonim and the Rebbe's whole approach to all of life, that applies to everything. It applies to whatever you're doing. But I did find Shlichus to be a very high path. And I knew that I wanted to go there. I was like angling myself towards that when I was, you know, 20 and in that stage of my life where I was thinking about who I was, who I wanted to be, who I wanted to marry. But it always did bother me that what does it mean to choose this life if you were brought up to choose it? If you were brought up with it, if you were taught that this is the highest path, what does it mean to make that choice? It's almost like I was always almost envious of Bali Chuva because I felt like that made so much more sense. Like look around, see what's out there, mm. find your path, and then be so inspired that you share it. And I was grateful, of course, to have all the benefits of growing up with a big family and relatives and the warmth and the Yiddishkeit and all the things that you learn just by growing up this way. And it feels good to be part of the community. But there was also this feeling of wanting to own my Yiddishkeit. So it's Mm. not something I do because I was born into it, something I do because I chose it. 
and choosing it for the theology, not just the sociology. Those two were always very specific in my mind. Like there's the theology of this community and then there's the sociology of it. Now, just because the sociology feels good, the home, the friends, the family, whatever it is, does that mean that you're choosing the theology of it? I would say like, There were certainly moments growing up and as a teenager and in my education where the truth of it was really visceral to me. I was very aware. I was inspired by it even. But I still felt like, am I choosing this path or is this just how I was brought up? And that was something that sort of, you know, always sat on my mind. It's a very natural question because if it's easier to choose this path and it is not to choose it, you can get in your head and say like, well, did I really choose it or am I just choosing the easier route? So I would love to hear what it meant for you to choose your Yiddishkeit. You are sharing this kind of like as a past experience. And I know that you've had your own personal journey and experience within your Yiddishkeit. So what has been that journey as a young person really wanting to feel like you had chosen it on your own? Now, as a fully formed adult, like what has been that process of choosing? So thank God I did get married and I ended up on shlichas and I always had this feeling like I chose this life. I chose it. But the tense was always in the past in the sense that I'm on this path because when I was at a critical crossroads, I made this choice. Mm. And here I am, like we're almost 18 years at this point on mm-hmm. Shlichus. And now I feel like the tense is wrong, that I feel like I've come to a place now where I understand that it's not that I chose it past tense, but that I'm actively choosing it every day. That's the critical piece for me, where being able mm. to look back and say, yes, I made this choice. I made the choice to live this life. And people certainly have challenged me. You know, my husband looks a little more like archaic from to many people, right? With his hat and his beard. And I, let's say, look a little more modern. And then they realize that I'm wearing a wig, but you're going to take it off, right? You're very modern. And I'm like, no, 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 this is my choice. I made this choice for this life. I'm not just going along with him. But I think that for many years, there was this piece that like, I made this choice in the past tense. Mm. I would say a couple years ago, it really hit me that like, this is a constant choosing. The way this whole life works is choosing it constantly in the present tense. And I don't think you need to live in existential angst. That's not what I'm trying to say, that every day you have to be looking at the world around you and saying, I don't want it. I don't want it. I want this life. I don't think there's that. But there is this feeling like you're constantly making the choice to connect with Hashem to reach for something higher in your life. And I think like, you know, it says in Devarim, is it Devarim? Right? So that was like very inspirational to me. Of course, whenever it says Hayayim, you know, it's something very critical, very relevant. And this idea that Hashem says, today I place before you life and death, choose life. It's an everyday Mm. thing. So I think that certainly there was a while for me that it was like, okay, remind me again why I'm doing this. Oh, right. When I was 21 or 22, I made this choice. Yeah. But definitely there was a point for me where that that doesn't fly anymore. 
like that's where the choosing life in the sense that there's life within life and there's death within life. Like you can be alive because you're not dead yet, or you can be alive because you're truly alive. And that's, I think, the intent, of course, of what the Tara is saying here, to choose life. There's always this option of choosing the life within the life. Mm, yeah. For me, I felt like starting to reconnect to Hashem after many years of not davening, not learning, coming to a place where it became essential to me to connect to Hashem personally, to focus on my own personal Yiddishkeit, even with everything else going on. That's when I began to feel like that visceral choosing life. I actually remember a moment. I do not remember what inspired me after years of not saying chitas, or not even considering saying chitas, because I was just drowning in babies and shlichas work. And, you know, of course, we had very challenging personal circumstances because a special needs child with extreme needs is always very, very challenging. But something inspired me, and again, I can't remember what it was, it was probably about seven years ago, to get myself a Chayenu subscription. Mm. And I was not saying chitas at all, but I picked it. I was like, you know, I'm going to get the subscription, so it's around. And I remember picking it up and opening to the Chumash of the day and having this moment where I felt like life rushing into my veins. And it was like physical almost. It was such an amazing experience. You know, when you're like very, very hot and you desperately need a cold drink and then you, you like feel it going into every one of your veins. Wow. That was the feeling for me. It was like, oh my gosh, it felt like life. Wow. I can't say that I say chitas every day. I try, but I get the chayenus and I try to keep them with me in my bag and, and just constantly be reconnecting to that life because I feel like with the Yiddishkeit, you can do it because you're born into it, or you could do it because you're making that active choice to connect to it all the time. Yeah, that was a big deal for me. So what you're describing is that as a young person, you were somewhat fixated on this idea. I want to make a pivotal choice, just like a Balchuva, where I say, I choose this life, I choose this path. And then years later, trying to depend on that choice you had made as a young person, and you found that it wasn't carrying you anymore. Like that singular choice you had made as a young person to marry a Chabad man, to go on shluchas, to live this path was no longer carrying you on a day-to-day -day basis. When I imagine you were facing challenges within your Yiddish guide and personal life that you could have never imagined or prepared for as a young person. As everybody does, my specific circumstances yeah. notwithstanding, life does a number on anybody, you know? Yeah. <laughs> we can't determine what will happen to us. No. So then shifting to that Consistent choice. The way you said it was beautiful, choosing life within life. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that has looked like for you to choose the life within life? Well, first of all, I want to share something that my husband shared with me from the Gemara, which I thought was beautiful from Yema, the Gemara Yema, where it says, Rabbah said, when the Chachamim would take leave from one another in Pumpadisa, they say as follows, may the one who grants life to the living grant you long, good, and established life. And in Hebrew, mm. it's mechaye chayim. Yitein lecha chayim aruchem taivim umitzukhanet. So this idea that there's always a life within life, that Hashem is the one who grants people life within life, and you always have that option to choose it, just a powerful thing. 
that my husband shared with me in connection to this. But in terms mm-hmm. of choosing to see the life within the life, so I think for me, that's been learning Hasidus very, very profoundly. Specifically, Hasidus as it relates to the things I'm already doing. For example, like Yom and Taivin. That was a very, very big deal for me. When I began to learn Hasidus mm. in much greater depth than I ever had about Rosh Hashanah, about Pesach, about Shabbos, about all of the things that I was doing. Now, remember that when you're on Shulchas, you're making these experiences available to everybody around you, which is a tremendous amount of work. There's so much work involved that, you know, your own personal experience of it, it's like you kind of have to rely on things that you stored up from before. But I found Mm -hmm. that for myself, that wasn't working anymore. So there's definitely was this experience of feeling so dried up and lifeless. Of course, I'm doing it. I believe it. And I really, you know, Shlichus is incredibly inspirational work. I always say that even for the skeptic, the work will make a convert out of you. It's very inspiring work. It's like introducing people to their Yiddishkeit. It's amazing. But of course, it comes along with a lot, you know, a lot of stuff, a lot of hard, physical, mental, emotional work. And I found that for myself, when I took the time and found the time, and and really it's thanks to podcasts like yours. And my daughter, by the way, my daughter wanted me to tell you that she's a very big fan of your podcast. She's 10, but she she loves your podcast. (laughs) which so I listen cute. to in the car and I listen to everywhere. Oh my gosh. Because that's so nice. I'm listening to it in the kitchen. I'm listening wherever I am, right? That's like you can fit it in. That has been very transformational for me. A few weeks ago, I had this experience where I was utterly exhausted on a Friday. You know, it's running the Chabad house and teaching and standing for hours. And it's just a lot. It's a lot of work to get ready for a Chabad house for Shabbos. And I had about half an hour left before candle lighting. And I'm like, do I go around the corner to get a manicure? Because living in Manhattan, you have that luxury. Do I walk a few steps to get a manicure? I can just squeeze it in. Or do I sit down and learn something? And I made the choice then Mm. to learn something. And it's invigorating. It revives the life within you. And I think that coming to a place where I feel that viscerally has been so transformative for me, where when you actually sit down to learn something, you feel the life-giving force within you more than you would feel if you took a little bit of time to escape. And to be clear, I'm all for taking the time to escape when you can. But when I only had time for one, finding the life within the life, the Hasidus, the explanations of Hasidus, the understanding of what it's all about has been very, very transformative for me. Oh. I like how you said that you were practicing the Jewish holidays. You were facilitating them for so many people and choosing the life within the life meant that yes, you were technically choosing God because you were celebrating the Yom Tif, but you were actually choosing to actually connect with it in a deeper way, to be aware of what you were doing, whatever Yom Tif was coming up, knowing the energy of the holiday that you're bringing into your life. I'm wondering then if this dryness that you were describing, did it come with doubts about your Yiddishkeit questions or was it just a feeling of disassociation and disconnection? I would say the latter, not the former. I'm very settled within my choices. There's no doubt involved for me. 
like I said, the work makes a convert out of you. It's inspiring work. The work itself is enough to keep you going in terms of your enthusiasm for the work. But what about your own personal connection to Hashem, my own personal connection mm. to Hashem? For that, I felt like there had to be this active choosing this life, that falling back on, yeah, I made this choice so many years ago, it wasn't enough. There had to be mm. this constant reaching for the etim, for the etim of what I was doing, for the gist of it, for the crux of it. What am I doing here? So like for Shabbos, for example, just to share a little teaching from there was like this beautiful mimer from the Alter Rebbe on Shabbos, where he basically describes how Shabbos is like Hashem retreating into his thoughts. So it's not that he stops creating, just sort of goes back into creating through Machshava instead of through Misa, through action. He creates the world from a place of thought. So that means that on Shabbos, we are created from Hashem's thought, which is a place so much closer to Hashem's essence, which is why we have this ability to tap into and really see ourselves as part of God on Shabbos. So that's like so mind-blowing for me. I'm like, Shabbos is not about rest, which is good because I don't get much of it on Shabbos, but it's about feeling one with Hashem. That is so profound. That just like shakes up my whole understanding of Shabbos, connects me right to the heart of what it is. And then it's a completely different experience of Shabbos, of facilitating Shabbos for other people. It comes from a different place. Yeah. So this whole idea of choosing, which is something I thought about for many years, always kind of on my mind. I was very inspired by the Mimer B'yayim Ashtay Yasser, which is a talk that the Rebbe gave on his birthday in 1971. I learned it in seminary. Can't say I learned that much in seminary, but I did learn this and I remember this. It's a mimer where the Rebbe basically describes making that choice to connect to godliness and not other things, even things that might not be antithetical to godliness, but not the source. The mimer is centered around a medrash. I'll just read it. A king entered a country accompanied by a duke, a prefect, and a commander. One person said, I'll choose the duke as my patron. Another said, I'll choose the prefect as my patron. Still another said, I'll choose the commander as my patron. There was a clever person among them who said, I will choose the king because the others are mm. all subject to replacement, whereas the king is not subject to replacement. So in the Medrash, it's talking about the Jewish people choosing Hashem over idol worshipers that choose other sources of influence, the sun, the moon, whatever forces of nature that appear to be bestowing life and goodness on them. It's sort of in the Rebbe's understanding, it's like there are many paths within Yiddishkeit. There are many ways to connect within Yiddishkeit. The Rebbe sort of demonstrates how the search for connecting with the essential piece of God that is beyond just what I get, beyond what makes me feel comfortable, beyond what feels good. And feeling good isn't only materially, it's also very spiritual, like the feeling good spiritually. In this mimer, the Rebbe is describing a path in Yiddishkeit where you're pushing aside all self-concern and going for the etim, the core connection with the king. This was a very, very powerful theme for me. I grew up very far from Crown Heights. So even though we were on Shluchas and it was a lifestyle inspired by the Rebbe's teachings, I felt for many years like I missed the boat on all of the things that the Rebbe 
shared with everybody. And I would often say this to my husband, who grew up right in the thick of things in Crown Heights and was there for every experience with the Rebbe. And I would say to him, like, I just missed out. I feel like it wasn't fair. Mm. And he would say, I got Giluyim, I got the revelations, and you got the etim. You got the essence. Oh. And that became very, very meaningful to me as the years went by, certainly. Because right now, nobody's, the Giluyim, the revelation, certainly with regards to the Rebbe's influence, the Rebbe's passion, like the sort of magnetic field, the energy field around the Rebbe that existed. Mm-hmm. It's not easy to tap into that right now. It's very, very hard. But the etzem, the essence of the Rebbe's teachings, the Rebbe's path, a path where it's not about the benefit that you get, and it's just transcending your self-concern and just going for the king, like going Mm. for the essence of being in a relationship with Hashem, of feeling it so strongly that you want to share it. That's what we have right now. That's the path I think that's available to us right now. It's an extremely strong path. Like it's going for the etzem means connecting with the Rebbe's teachings. Never mind all the excitement and the energy around seeing the Rebbe and the things that the Rebbe did and reached out and the miracles. All of that stuff is revelation. And what really keeps me here is not the revelations. It's really the essence. You know, there's like this great eighth day song that I love. It's a recent song. Like I'm sticking around and you're the reason, you know, that song. I love it. I even wrote them a piece of fan mail. So it's this idea. I'm sticking around and you're the reason you give me a hook and I sink my teeth in. You drop your manner at my door. Keeps me wanting more and more. I'm sticking around. This idea that learning Tyra, the song describes the experience of learning Tyra. And like you drop your manna at my door. I keep wanting more and more. And going into the Torah, going into the teachings of the Rebbe, and just peeling away layer after layer of depth. And there's so much, it's just astonishing. It's certainly in the last few years of the Rebbe's leadership on earth, there's like astonishing amount of content, talks and lectures and letters and videos. Like there's just so much. And I feel like that's the etim in the mimer that the Rebbe is speaking about, where you have a smart person who's reaching for the etim, for the essence that's the choice to make. And in the mimer, the smart person says, Malka, I choose the king. To me, it's very personal. It's like, I'm choosing this essence path, which is not the most comfortable. It's certainly there are easier ways to be from. There are easier ways to live a Jewish life for sure. But this idea that you're reaching for the essence is above all self-concern. It's very, very powerful. I think that for me, this whole act of choosing, choosing my Yiddishkeit, what does it mean to choose it for me is to open the book, look at the pages. And I feel so blessed to have gotten a Jewish education that I can even open the book. But really, this is a time of tremendous knowledge and information. It's the age of everything's available, safariachabad.org, your podcast. There's tons out there. And that's the choosing. The choosing is not to be an autopilot because it's actually very easy to be an autopilot. And I think that the reason why this became such a thematic mimer of the Rebbe is because we're living in a time where Messias Nefesh is not required. You don't need to actively like fight against 
forces even of assimilation. I mean, jewelry in America is really settled and really comfortable. And you can live a from life on autopilot and you can be kind of happy. It can work. But I think what the Rebbe was pushing us here to do is to reach for the essence, not be content with the path that you were brought up with. Really reach for the etzem. Can you give any practical examples from your life where you can differentiate clearly between revelation and essence in the way that you're describing, where you have like two options of what to choose and you can zero in on either one? I feel like there's definitely been for me in my shlichus work and in my life, like a stripping down of everything that is not related to the essential core of connecting with Hashem revealing Hashem's truth, things like that. So we're once on a very, very practical, just like very basic level, like where once upon a time, I may have been stressed, like before a program that I'm running, I would be very, very focused on a lot of the parts of it, which are all for a greater whole, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm stressed out about this detail and this decor and every aspect of it. Or even when I'm preparing for a class, and I'm going to work and going to try to prepare more or do more. I feel like in my life, there's been a stepping back and saying, I'm going to reach out to Hashem right now. Like I'm going to connect with the core of everything that it is, everything that this is for right now. So if that's Mm. before a program, I'm going to stop preparing. If it's not prepared when people walk in, then it's not, but I'm going to dive in. I'm just going to connect to Hashem right now. And that just aligns and centers me with everything that I'm doing so that I'm not forgetting in the fluff of the things that I have to do. And we all have to do so many things that don't directly relate to the core of our mission, but like to keep that front and center. Mm, I like that. Oh, I like how you put that. It's a perspective that when you are interacting with all the details that you're keeping your eye on the essential purpose and the essence of what you're doing. Yeah. I think that that's it because you can get lost in a lot of the details of life in general. And I think that, you know, life is full of details. It's messy. It's busy. It's beautiful. And to find the time, and there's so many built-in times, if you're following the program, you know, if you're actually like making the time to dive into connect with learning, then you're finding those times to center yourself, but they're essential so that you're not going on autopilot so that you're actually making that active choosing, making that active choice. I think that there's something interesting that also struck me. You know, we say that Hashem chooses us, right? Hashem bachar banu. So it's interesting to me that Hashem is choosing us regardless. You know, even if we're not making the choice, Hashem is making the choice for us. But we get to choose what kind of relationship with Hashem we have. If we're God's children, if you're Hashem's child and Hashem is choosing you, like, are you the problematic child or you're the one who enjoys like a deep, satisfying connection with the divine in your life? And that piece is very profound to me as well, that the choosing is not one-sided. It's not us reaching for God all the time. There's emotion. It's coming from both ways. You know, God is choosing us as we are reaching out to him. God is choosing us at the same time. Mm. And you also see the tremendous freedom there that we have to decide what type of relationship we do have with him. Yeah, I think that that's part of being a Jew. It's just recognizing you're in a relationship with God. 
all the time to keep that front and center, not to let the pieces of life just overwhelm you like that. Something about the way the Rebbe describes in this Mimer, Ananasiv Malka, is the person who is choosing the king is not choosing the easy path. And the Rebbe explains there how if you're getting influence from the ministers, you know, the extraneous forces, there's more. Quantitatively, it's more influence and it's easier and it requires less of you. Mm. And yet, the Rebbe is advocating for a Yiddish guide in which you are agitating to get to the essence. So it's like this agitated Judaism that you're shaking up your comfort level all the time. You're trying to transcend yourself all the time. That's the path of the Rebbe, I think, that you're never comfortable. There's something, there's always something. It's hard without the outward pieces of the Rebbe's style of leadership, where there was always a new campaign and something new coming up. And this was this constant, like, we're not resting, we're not stopping, we're going, and this to do, and this to do. And, and today, it's like, how do you connect to that? Just don't let yourself get too comfortable. And I think that that's something that I work on all the time. Not being like, this is what I do, you know, but just try to like a little bit more, get in a little bit more, learn a little bit more, do a little bit more, just shake myself up. Because I feel like that's the Rebbe's message here. Mm. That brings me right back to what you were talking about at the beginning about making a defining choice. That so many of us, I definitely do this, find our comfort zone within our Yiddishkeit. We find our identities within our Yiddishkeit and we maintain them. I love how you pinpointed that because it's not a static choice, it means that there's constant growth and there's constant choosing means that I'm constantly also changing my capacity and changing the depth of my experience. So that comfort zone that we love to live in because it's easier and we can define ourselves more clearly might be coming in the way of really being in relationship with the ship. Yeah, I agree with you. And that piece about Hashem choosing us when we, Hashem's always choosing us, right? But there's a reciprocal piece going back and forth. It's a very big comfort, I think. Because if you're shaking yourself up, it's good to know that there's somebody who's pulling you up, you know, mm. who's always trying to pull you forward. Something I'm wondering, because you mentioned your son at the beginning, and I know it's something that you lecture about and that you've spoken about, is how has the experience of having a nonverbal son with severe autism, how has that affected this journey that you're describing and these consistent choices? So I think that being thrown into this situation of having a son with a severe diagnosis, I was, how old was I when he was diagnosed? Like 26, very young with three little kids. Wow. Mm. Being thrown into that I realized after a while in, I would say a good while in, that although I was living a life of a religious person and inspired by it, I wasn't reaching to Hashem to help me in this situation. And it was like a real earth-shattering realization for me. Wow. To realize that I was like, oh my gosh, we have this huge problem. Mm-hmm. But deep within me, I thought I'm reaching 
to other moms or to blogs or to alternative healers. I wasn't reaching to Hashem. And that was like a really powerful realization when I realized that. It was like, wow, what are you preaching and what are you living? Mm. And it took me many years. It really took me many years to, because it was just a lot of emotion around a child when they get this diagnosis. And a lot of the things you hear is it's all up to the mother to pull the child out. And there was just an enormous, enormous burden where I felt like, you know, it's not like he was sick and we're just going to pray that the medicine is going to work. It's like, we have to find the key to this kid and that's on me. Mm. And because his progress was very slow, very, very slow, he didn't jump out of his diagnosis as some children do. It was years of accepting and re-accepting and re-accepting who this child is, what Hashem has in mind for him, what that means to believe in Hashem and to accept what Hashem gives, but also to just look to Hashem for handling this life. I don't think I did it for many, many years. And then slowly, slowly, I began to just realize it's all Hashem. Everything is Hashem. Nothing else has power over me. Everything is Hashem. And definitely beginning to daven after many, many years of not davening, beginning to just become a person who wakes up in the morning and wants to daven was a long journey. But connecting to Hashem on a very regular basis, realizing that nothing else in the world has power over me or my story, or my outcomes, or my son's outcomes. It's just Hashem. And that was a very transformational journey. And then there was so much of like, yeah, I'm in this. Look, I chose this. I chose this when I was 21, and now I'm going to teach everybody around me. You know, I know all the stuff. I went through the system. I know what there is to teach, and I can say it, and I could say it. But only when I really realized, took a hard look at myself and realized that my own relationship with Hashem was very distant from me. And I had every excuse not to daven, not to learn. I remember telling my mashpia, who I finally got a mashpia after, after years, got a, a mashpia again, maybe 10 years ago. And I said to her, I never daven. And she's like, you're so amazing that you're worried about davening. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not worried about davening. It's not even on my radar. I wake up and I do my shlichas and I do my work and I'm inspired by it. But my personal connection to Hashem is just not on my radar. Mm. And then coming to a place where I started to feel that personal connection to Hashem, where I couldn't live without it. And it's like when on a day that I don't manage to daven, I'm like walking around like I'm starving. I think that that was just like a full reorientation of who I was. Everything comes back to your relationship with Hashem, my relationship with Hashem. Everything comes back to that. And, you know, I didn't like choose a career path and go down it. It's a constant mm. orientating myself, orienting, orienting myself to be in a relationship with Hashem. And that gives me the strength to give it out and to spread that outward. But it had to come from inside first. What you just shared was so gorgeous and raw. And that experience of having 
life strip you down to your essence and actually considering whether or not you had a relationship with Hashem. And then the reconstruction is probably not the right word because it's a consistent revisiting, but just actually making that a constant priority in your life. I want to end with that question because what advice would you give on building that relationship? What advice would you give on choosing consistently on having daily interactions with God where you are really reaching for the essence and really seeing beyond all the details and all the external trappings? Yeah, it's a great question. Like I said, I, I don't think you need to live in existential angst to be choosing Hashem all the time. But I do think you need to learn. I think that we all, everybody, we need to learn. That's how you reconnect. That's how you don't just sit on whatever you've done so far, or whatever choices you've made. I know that for me, the example that I gave when I spoke about this not too long ago was like learning about a yamtif was like being in the same building, but taking an elevator to a higher floor. And that became like a very visceral experience for me. Like you can live the same life. You can go through all the motions, but which floor are you on? What's the view like from where you are? And learning Hasidus became that experience for me. I'm here and I'm in it, but now I'm alive in it. Now it's like a living choice. And I really do believe that when you make that effort, it's a flow. It's a flow that just comes to you as well. I want to share a story. My father-in-law and my mother-in-law are people that I admire very much for having made the choice from among their large and well-established from families to choose the Rebbe and the path of the Rebbe and Hasidus Chabad. And this very beautiful little story that happened with my father-in-law, he was a student at YU when he first came to hear the Rebbe, just out of curiosity for the Rebbe's first Fabringen. And he became very inspired and connected to the Rebbe. And he was kind of coming in and out. And there was a Pesach that he walked in from his home on the Lower East Side, he walked into Crown Heights, and he was standing in the front vestibule of 770, like where the Rebbe would give out dollars. And the Rebbe came out and said like a surprise sicha. There were a bunch of Hasidim standing there, my father-in-law among them. And when the Rebbe finished the sicha, he, so the Hasidim sort of broke out in a song and they were just dancing around. The Rebbe was standing on the side and my father-in-law who was kind of in, kind of out, was standing on the side as well. And then he felt a hand lift up his shirt collar, pull him into the circle and dance with him. And he turned around and it was the Rebbe. The Rebbe had pulled mm. him into the circle and was dancing with him. And the song they were singing was Vahari Kaisilach and Bracha Adli Dai. And we'll give you blessings endlessly. It was a favorite song of my father-in-law. Should be well. That's it. That's the story. But it's very meaningful to me. When you choose this life and you choose this path, you're connected above. You're connected with something very high as well. So I feel like that has been, you know, you make your efforts, you dig deeper, you do your best to reconnect, not just to be, okay, I made this choice. I'm living this life. I'm going down here. I'm looking around me. Who's doing what? Okay, I'll do this program. I'll do that program. I'll give a class. But a constant like reaching for the etem, for the source, for the essence. And then I feel like the Rebbe pulls you. The Rebbe pulls you along. I noticed so many times throughout 
this conversation that when you described learning or you described davening, you used the metaphors of just feeling like life enter your veins, feeling like you had been thirsty and you were drinking. Or at the end, you just said that when you don't daven, you feel starving. And I think that paying attention to that sensation that I think all of us feel when we notice it, that like when we do tap into Torah, when we do tap into Hasidus and our connection with Hashem and the essence, we have that feeling of being fed, of drinking, of being like thirsty in a desert and finally taking a drink. And that experience of like just being so nourished by life, by the life of Torah is enough to keep us coming back for more because etzem might not be as shiny, but it's so deeply nourishing and we can depend on that whenever we come. Yeah. And I think that it just applies to anyone in, in every single path to have an agitated Judaism where you're looking inwards, you're looking to connect, you're looking to shake yourself up. What does the word say? Whoever wants to connect to me as my chassid. I can't remember the wording, but like there's something about reaching for more that makes you a chassid. Yeah. This was beautiful. This was so beautiful. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Tanya. Elokai <laughs> zakinina Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, I want to invite you to leave a rating or a review. It helps other people find the podcast. And you know, we're all about getting Chassidus into every corner of the world. I also want to invite you, if you really loved it, to share it with a friend who you think might love it too. If you would like to sponsor an episode, you can reach out to us at humanandholy at gmail.com. To give to Human and Holy in any amount, visit humanandholy.com slash sponsor. You can follow us on Instagram at humanandholy, and you can stay up to date with everything we do by signing up for our newsletter on humanandholy.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.